Hey guys, it's Blake, and you're listening to an all-new episode of Blonde Hair, Black Heart. So this weekend I went out to dinner with one of my best friends in the whole world who I've known since middle school, and her fiancé who also went to high school with us. They were in town visiting because they're planning for their wedding, which is here, so they were checking out their venue and doing some food tastings and stuff. So we were chatting, and I was asking them about their wedding and who all was going to be there. Obviously, with both of them being from my high school, it's definitely going to be, like, a big reunion. One person on this list is a girl who we also grew up with, a former friend of mine. Let's call her Alex. So Alex and I knew each other in middle school, despite going to different schools. Um, We were in Hebrew school together, and as I'm sure most Jewish kids can relate to, all the Jews know all the Jews. So despite her going to a private school and me going to a public school, we became really, really good friends. And she was a total tomboy, and she hung out pretty much exclusively with me and my group of guy friends. By sophomore year of high school, Alex had decided that she wanted to transfer to our school. I distinctly remember introducing her to all of my girlfriends on her first day of school. And keep in mind, guys, I was friends with all of the popular girls, who we called the Trendies. So high school went on, and at a certain point, Alex had fully integrated herself into the Trendies. She was still friends with me and all of my guy friends because, like I said, all of the popular girls loved me and loved them. So we were all one big group. The summer after our freshman year of college, I was home visiting and Alex was going to the University of Arizona here in our hometown. And I remember one night she was having a little party at her college house with all of our friends who were home. And at some point in the night, and I truly don't remember how or why, it was revealed to me that for about two years in high school, Alex had been fucking my older brother. Now, for a lot of people, this would be a big deal. You know, friends sleeping with siblings is a big no-no. But honestly, it It really didn't phase me. I was not into Alex, um, and it really didn't bother me that she had been into my brother. Uh, My brother was also really popular, and and so this wasn't like an earth-shattering revelation to me. However, what was also revealed was, I found out that not only had Alex been sleeping with my brother for two years, but that entire time, every one of our friends knew about it. Um, All of my guy friends, all of the trendies, and Alex had basically been holding all of them emotionally hostage and telling them that they could never tell me because I would lose my mind and it would destroy the, the whole friend group. So for years, all of my friends were lying to my face. That's what really bothered me. So right then and there, Alex and I sat down at her kitchen counter and we hashed it out. And although there was obviously alcohol involved, um, I remember it very clearly. Like, there was no yelling, there was no shouting, there wasn't any anger, but there was crying. And in the end, I made it crystal clear that the issue wasn't that she was ever into my brother, it was that she lied and she made me look and feel like an idiot by having everyone lie to me. And I wasn't mad, but I was really sad. And she apologized, and we moved on, and everything was fine. A year or so later, one of my other best friends in the world, Brittany, was screwed over by Alex. Brittany was also a trendy, and she and Alex and another girl named Carly were BFFs in the group. Brittany was having Carly help her move into her new apartment one weekend, and while she was there, Carly logged into her Facebook. After Carly left, Brittany saw that Carly's Facebook was still logged in and open to a conversation with Alex. The two of them had been chatting all weekend, talking shit about Britney. Like, mad shit. Really mean stuff. Attacking her in ways that would be really hurtful to anyone. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but it was low-base bullshit. Britney saw this and was obviously really hurt, and when she finally confronted Alex and Carly about it, they basically cut her out. They were like, well, you don't have to be our friend anymore if you don't want to. Bitches. So, being the protective friend I am... I kind of lost it. 
For a few months, there would be random nights where I would drink a little too much and end up on Alex's Facebook, going through her profile pictures, commenting LOL on photos where she clearly thought she looked cute, or finding a photo of Brittany, Alex, and Carly and commenting, wow, Brittany looks great here. I never said I wasn't petty. From there, my relationship with Alex fizzled fast to the point where both of us unfollowed each other uh, across all social medias, and I even think at one point I was blocked. But I would always hear things that she would say about me to others in our group, and I'm sure vice versa. Eventually, years had passed, and Brittany and Alex had started communicating again, and I just felt like it was time to move on. In 2016, I sent Alex a Facebook message, and I apologized for the things that I had done to hurt her, um, and I explained that I was coming from a place of being really protective over Brittany, but I obviously realized how petty and immature I was being, and I hope that we can move forward. After all, we had known each other for over a decade, and at one point we were really good friends. Plus, I knew that sometime in the future we would both be invited to the same wedding. Well, she got my message, and she simply replied, I don't need any drama in my life. And that was that. So when talking with my friend this weekend about her wedding and sharing my utter dread for seeing and likely having to talk to Alex, she revealed that there were layers of this feud that even I didn't know about. Apparently at one point, Alex had insisted to everyone that I had stolen from her. Her neon green digital camera, to be specific. Not only did she assume that I had sticky fingers, but she went out of her way to tell all of my friends that I did. Then, a few months later, she found said neon green digital camera in one of her own dresser drawers. As they say, innocent until proven guilty. Unless you're always proven innocent, like Blake. <laughs> but for real, I feel like I gave this girl a lot of credit when I didn't need to. Um, hell, I introduced her to all of her friends. I freaking made her into a trendy. And this is how she repays me? Anyways, the wedding in which we will both be in attendance is in March. So I will, of course, do a follow-up episode. Maybe I'll even try and get her on the show? I'll just have to have my brother ask her really nicely. One of the best things about growing up in Arizona is that there's incredible Mexican food on every street corner. And you know what goes best with good Mexican food? Traditional Mexican horchata. Don't know what horchata is? It's creamy, delicious rice milk flavored with cinnamon, vanilla, and sugar. Okay, you thirsty now? Me too. Luckily, even if you're far from the southern border, you can get your horchata fix every day with cinnamon. Cinnamon is a brand created by my good friend Tyler, who is even more obsessed with horchata and all things cinnamon than I am. He's developed all natural skincare products and more, crafted in California with ethically sourced ingredients and infused with real cinnamon. Have you heard of the antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, or antioxidant properties of cinnamon when applied to the skin? Or how about how it helps treat acne? What about how cinnamon promotes blood flow, helping with skin elasticity by bringing blood flow to the surface of the skin and helping to moisturize skin with all of that added circulation? Some of my personal favorite products from Cinnamon are their signature lip balm that gives your lips a sweet tingle and a subtle natural plump, their all-natural deodorant developed for sensitive skin, and the Coco Chata body beverage that leaves your body hydrated and smelling like heaven. They even have candles and air fresheners to keep your entire home, car, or office smelling like your favorite dessert. With Cinnamon, you'll enjoy all the benefits Cinnamon has to offer your skin and your senses. Visit Cinnamon.com, that's S-I-N-M-I-N.com, and use code BLAKE at checkout for 15% off your total order today and receive free shipping on all orders over $50. That's code BLAKE for 15% off your order at Cinnamon.com. I may have a black heart, but I can be sweet sometimes, and Cinnamon definitely helps.
On last week's Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, we're still in Aspen. Lisa Rinna is asking Kyle for some stevia for her coffee. And I'm just wondering, are Kyle and Mauricio gonna call her high maintenance? Get your own damn stevia. Grill your own damn corn. Rinna and Kyle discuss Diana's actions from the night before, and Rinna says that she was out of control, but that her rage comes from sadness. Is Rinna gonna say Diana's rage was because of Lois's death too? But in all seriousness, they love to make excuses for each other's shitty behavior while not cutting anyone else any slack. You know, Diana and Rinna's actions always come from love, while Sutton's and Garcelle's are always because they're evil monsters, duh. Kyle says that she actually really gets Sutton when they're one-on-one, -on -one, but when they're with the group, she just doesn't get her, and Erica and Rinna agree that Sutton does 180s when she's around the group. Okay, I know this is crazy, but do you think it's possible that Sutton changes when she's around all of you guys together because of how she's treated when you're all together? Like, maybe she doesn't like getting gangbanged. It's not for everyone. Kyle then brings up Instagram gate and says that it's mean girl shit to unfollow each other and laugh about it. Mean Girls shit, coming from the queen of the Mean Girls. Sutton, Garcelle, and Cherie are going to pick up Erica and go snowmobiling, and Sutton keeps calling Erica a non-friend, and Cherie tells her to think of Erica as a non-issue. I actually loved this advice. Cherie is dropping little wisdom nuggets that Sutton needs to pick up. Like, girl, grab a handful, put them in your bag. The other ladies go skiing. Well, Dorit goes sliding. <laughs> but honestly, if there were a table full of chips and salsa waiting for me at the bottom of a mountain, I would find my way down too. I would, even if I had to roll all the way. The snowmobiling ladies sit around and chat about the night before and catch up on how Diana acted. And Sutton says that she just can't apologize again because she can't force Diana to receive her apologies if she doesn't want to. Erica says that there's something about Sutton's apologies that don't seem authentic, whereas she strives to apologize authentically when she reacts inappropriately. Um, okay, Erica telling anyone to apologize authentically? Where's Alanis Morissette hiding? Because this is ironic. Later on, the ladies are getting ready for the evening, and Garcelle and Crystal talk about Erica's earrings and what Garcelle spoke about on The Real. Garcelle tells Crystal that she and the other ladies on the show all agreed that the earrings need to be returned. It's the only way to show compassion for the victims. Crystal thinks Erica clearly thinks of herself as a victim, and says if it were her, she wouldn't even want the earrings. I personally agree. I think there's gotta be some bad juju on those earrings. And I don't need any more bad juju. Sutton wears this little cheetah print number, you know, she loves kitty cats, and the girls are out to play. Kathy compliments Sutton and tells her that she can wear this dress because she has little girl boobs. Okay, be careful talking about little girl boobs, Kathy. Remember what you said last week about being called a pedophile? You don't want that. The ladies are all talking about their expensive vintage clothing and bags that they have in storage, and Erica chimes in, listing everything she has and how much it's all worth. Garcelle says what we're all thinking. This is such a bad look. Girl has zero self-awareness. Garcelle asks Erica about the earrings, and Erica insists that she's done nothing wrong and she's not going to return the earrings or anything unless it's court-ordered. It's about compassion, about having a heart, Garcelle says. Erica replies, I'm not guilty and how fucking dare you say that. I'm fighting like the devil. Uh, fighting for yourself, sure. The widows and orphans, though? Nah, fuck them. So at this dinner, Kathy's wearing barrettes in her hair and a little cardigan over a floral blouse, and she has a reusable grocery bag as a purse. I'm so confused by this woman. Confused and entertained. After dinner, they head back to the Aspen rental house. You know, the nice one. 
Crystal, Cherie, and Renette eat some edibles. I'm sure they saw Heather and Shannon on RHOC and were like, oh, fun, let's do that. But maybe not a great choice given what's about to go down. <laughs> Kathy brings out her tequila that she brought to advertise because, you know, this is the Real Housewives and we all know these women love a little shameless self-promotion. She just wants to do a little bottoms up and no one is having it. Kyle, like, growls in the middle of Kathy's presentation. And Rinna's acting so annoyed and rolling her eyes as if this season wasn't an infomercial for Rinna Rosé and last season wasn't an infomercial for Rinna Beauty. Just take the fucking shots, ladies. The earrings come up again, and this time Crystal, or Queen Crystal, as I call her, has some things to say. She says that it's not about the law, it's about right and wrong, and it's about feeling for the victims. Garcelle says she feels like Erica doesn't show compassion because she doesn't want to look guilty. I'm not guilty, Erica quickly snarls. So yeah, Garcelle nailed it. Then Crystal has the mic drop moment of the episode. It's about trying to make people whole. Period. Dot. Chanel Ion. Dot. Period. Mic drop. Period. Then Crystal says, whether you knew about it or not, your husband was found guilty of these crimes. Show compassion. Erica says, you think I'm going to throw my hands up and say I feel bad? You, you believe I should do that because someone said so? Crystal says, nah, bruh. I thought that myself. Crystal and Erica continue to go head-to-head, -head, and Crystal does not back down in the face of Erica the barking dog. Crystal stays cool, calm, and collected. She's, uh, you guys, I just love her so much. The other ladies are melting into the couch on their edibles, watching all of this go down, as Erica calls Tom's victims, quote-unquote, potential victims. Erica says that they're all only talking about people that they don't know, versus someone right in front of them, and they should only care about her. I don't give a fuck about anybody else but me. At this point, Kyle can't sit back and let Erica blow up the Fox Force 4 anymore, so she chimes in and she tells Erica to stop. Let's have a little sensitivity to the victims. Dorit tells Erica to take a deep breath, and Erica snaps, No! She will literally stop breathing to make her point. And I wouldn't hate it, TBH. Erica says, They're not my victims. It's not my problem. And Kyle responds, People fucking died! Then Kathy chimes in, Don't curse, Kyle! <laughs> Ugh, Kyle loses it, finally seeing what we've all been seeing. This bitch is heartless. And Dorit and Rena decide that they need to get Erica the hell out of there. You can't come back from certain things. They get Erica out of the house, but not without Erica running her mouth the entire way out. What about the facts? I don't know, Erica. What about the facts? Okay, guys, so the reunion filmed last week, and as always, there are rumors swirling about what did and didn't go down. First of all, Diana Jenkins was not in attendance. She had COVID. <laughs> I'm sick. Eh, not a major loss, honestly, and definitely the nail in her housewife's coffin. If you ask me, we will never see Diana Jenkins again. So, my insider source told me some very interesting news from the reunion. Take all of this with a grain of salt, because none of this is confirmed, but if any of this is true, then I told you so. So, first off, the seating chart. On one side of Andy, we have Kyle, Sutton, and Garcelle, and on the other side, it's Rinna, Erica, Dorit, and Crystal. Apparently, Diana was supposed to be on that side, with Crystal on Kyle, Sutton, and Garcelle's, but when Diana called in sick, they quickly moved Crystal. I also heard that Garcelle wore black, possibly for Erica and Rena's funerals. Speaking of Garcelle, all of the rumors surrounding her son and Raquel Levis do come up, but Garcelle quickly shuts the combo down and says she's not going to speak on her son's drama. We're going to save that for the upcoming season of Pump Rules. 
Okay, now here is the scalding tea. If true, that is. Apparently, all of the Kathy Hilton Aspen drama that we've been hearing about for what feels like years is saved for the end of the reunion. What went down, allegedly, is this. On one of the last nights in Aspen, the ladies are out at a club and Kathy was, simply put, over it. Maybe it was the choice of tequila the club was serving, maybe Doogie had done the splits one too many times. Either way, she was donezo. Kathy and Lisa Rinna go home from the club together, and supposedly, when the two were alone, Kathy lost it. She talked shit about anyone and everyone, including all of the other ladies, minus Garcelle. Everyone just loves Garcelle. This is also when Kathy supposedly said some problematic, potentially racist things. There were no cameras, no producers, no other women, just Rinna and Kathy. Kathy has admitted that she did lose her cool in Aspen, but she denies that anything racist or problematic was said. Kyle, at the reunion, has a really hard time and feels dead in the middle, possibly because she wants to defend her sister, but also she doesn't have a hard time believing that this could be true. What I find so interesting, however, is that Lisa Rinna is the one exposing all of this. Now, I'm not defending Kathy here at all, especially if she did say problematic shit, and I, like Doogie, don't have a hard time believing it. But I think one of the main problems with this show, at this point, is that there are very clearly defined alliances that go beyond regular friendship loyalties. It's legit blood oaths and stuff. You know, we see so clearly who's going to protect who and at what costs while throwing others under the bus with ease. At the end of this week's episode, Rinna clearly wanted to get Erica out of that house and away from the cameras, because she knew that Erica could, and probably already had, said things that she couldn't come back from in the public eye. So I find it interesting that when Kathy says unfavorable things later on that same trip, Rinna's like, ah, damn, I wish there was a camera here, <laughs> you know? Uh, better just blast it all on social media. Just saying. It's, I don't know, it's weird. Anyways, we still have several weeks before the reunion airs, and we all know that Aspen is going to continue to be a doozy. This isn't the bunny slope, guys. Okay, let's talk about The Real Housewives of Dubai and The Real Housewives of Atlanta's reunions. So I feel like the entire first part of the Dubai reunion was the Sergio show, so we're going to fast forward through that. Now on part two, Stanbury pulls out her Lisa Milan book of lies, which ultimately fell flat. I feel like, did Andy even open the book up, or did he just look at the cover? Anyways, Stanbury claims that Lisa has attacked her business, her followers, and her husband. Lisa says, focus on yourself, work on getting a mortgage. Okay, good dig if it's true. But I have a mortgage. In fact, I have two. So I'm sure Caroline Stanbury has no problem getting a mortgage, right? And if not, then why am I living the life that I live and she's living the life that she lives? Stanbury then calls Lisa an escort. And Lisa says if she were, she would own it because she would be rich, bitch. Her shit is golden. And honestly, I agree. I mean, look at that reunion outfit. Lisa says, speaking of escorts, let's look in Jeffrey Epstein's binder for Stanbury's name. And she quickly admits to Andy that she was friends with all of them. Now, this was moved past so quickly, way too quickly. What does she mean by all of them? I need answers now. 
So the ladies are all arguing over who's the most successful. And I thought that we already went over this with Ion during the season, but it comes out that Nina is actually the richest, not because of her fruitcakes, but because she owns multiple buildings in Dubai. It's just too bad that money can't buy you a personality. The french fries at Lisa's fashion show also come up, and okay, this is the only time that I relate to Nina, because, like, who gets mad about french fries? Just let her eat the damn french fries. Like, fuck, now I want to go eat some fucking french fries. Lisa says that Nina turned her against Stanbury, and that she had a lot of nasty things to say about her. But Nina and Stanbury keep saying that they've come to like each other, and they're friends now, so why is it so hard to understand that Nina changed her mind? She's never denied not liking Stanbury previously, she's just saying that she likes her now. Nina says it's unfair for Lisa to blame her for not having a friendship with Stanbury, because Nina keeps telling her to have a friendship with Stanbury. <laughs> Lisa says it's not that she has a problem with Nina and Stanbury being friends, she just thinks that it's weird and it's fake and she doesn't like it. So she does have a problem with it. On a lunch break, Caroline Brooks FaceTimes with Phaedra, who says that the reunions bring out people's truths and their lies, something she would know. Chanel then has her segment, and it mostly discusses her circumcision, which is so incredibly tragic, and she acknowledges that she truly is a survivor in so many ways. And Sarah recognizes that she thinks Chanel's very guarded and armored because of her childhood traumas, and that's why she's been reserved in many of her friendships with the ladies, and this also explains why she's so quick to jump on the defense with Caroline Stanbury. Stanbury later says that she knows that there was a discussion about getting her off of the show, and Sarah clarifies that Ion did start this conversation, but she was actually just telling the ladies, let's show Stanbury that she's not the queen of the show. Andy chimes in and says, actually, Stanbury was a very important piece of Real Housewives of Dubai being greenlit, so don't get it twisted. They then discuss Ion showing up to Stanbury's wedding in the long white dress with the train and the blonde wig. And TBH, I thought it looked like she was in a Caroline Stanbury costume. I did, I did. I think... It was the blonde wig, man. Um, that was the kicker. But I wish Ion would have just owned it, you know? Like Leanne Locken dressing up like Stephanie Holman for Halloween. It honestly would have been iconic if she had just arrived and pretended to be Stanbury and, like, walked down the aisle. <laughs> but Ion says, quite simply, it is what it is. She will always outshine everyone. If people have a problem with how great she looks, that's none of her damn business. Honestly, I need to live my life this way. <laughs> I'm going to start asking myself, WWAD, what would Ion do? By the end of the reunion, most of the girls had come to the conclusion that they only didn't like each other because they heard the other one didn't like them. So, basically, petty bitches everywhere. And love to see it, honestly. Okay, Real Housewives of Atlanta. So, the reunion set is amazing. I absolutely love it. I know it's supposed to be Jamaica, but it's giving me old Hollywood or even, like, Miami Vice vibes into it. And, as always, the ladies kill it with their color scheme. I already know that Beverly Hills doesn't have one, and it kills me. So, at the top of the episode, we have the Bone Collector Contest. And according to production, it was a tie, but according to the ladies, Drew is the ultimate bone collector. But I'm surprised Sonya didn't get more hyped up in this competition, because we all know she likes to go for the gold. Speaking of, Drew says that Sonya is a good runner, and Sonya replies that Drew has only achieved mediocrity in her life. Such a low blow. And, like, okay, in terms of 
Hollywood stardom, sure, Drew's not a superstar A-lister, but I always feel like this is so degrading to the other people that have these careers. Like, what about every other hardworking actor? You know, there are so many talented people who have not booked roles as big as Drew has, and when you shit on her career, you're shitting on everyone else that's trying to get where she's been. So, I don't know, don't go low like that. She by Sheree comes up, and Sheree says that the website will be up and running by finale night. <laughs> well, we all know how that worked out. Candy and Sheree go back and forth about who talks about who more, but ultimately, that's what the show is. It's talking about one another, on and off the show. That's like what the promotion for the show is too. You have to go talk about each other to these media outlets. It's really just about taking ownership of the things that you say and saying the same things to each other as you do to the press or to the producers in your confessionals. Andy asks Sheree why she was so judgmental about Drop It With Drew when She by Sheree took 14 years. And Sheree says that Drew doesn't represent fitness or health. Sheree says that Drew's had work done, so she can't represent weight loss. And Drew says they've all had work done, and her program isn't supposed to sell magic weight loss, but really a lifestyle of how to be healthy and to maintain it. I mean, at the end of the day, neither of them are necessarily killing it with their products, so let's be real. Then Andy asks if Sheree pays people, a topic that has come up a lot. I pay the people that need to be paid, Sheree answers. Andy asks if she pays all of the bills that she receives, and she says, it depends on what it is. So the short answer is no. But I can tell you this much, she definitely didn't pay her GoDaddy bill to host SheBuySheree.com because that shit was giving everyone a 404 error. Kenya says, if you're not satisfied with a service, you still have to pay. You just don't use them again. Then we get into Candy vs. Marlo. Candy's upset that Marlo came on the show and said that Candy's only out for herself and she doesn't help other people. Candy says that's BS because she and Todd tried to get Marlo her own show on another network years ago when she wasn't on Real Housewives of Atlanta. Marlo says the contract didn't make sense to her, and then she said it was Todd, not Candy. But ultimately, the truth is the truth. They did try to help. Even if it didn't work out, even if you didn't like the terms of the contract, to say that Candy has never extended a hand is BS. Kenya's then asked if she thinks Marlo is a good housewife, and Kenya says no. You know, she thought Marlo would come on and try to build actual friendships, but that wasn't the case. She was just mean. One example Kenya has is all of the times Marlo mentions Mark Daly. Marlo says she never talked about Mark, and Kenya quickly says, let's not do the Donald Trump here today. <laughs> At the end of the episode, I don't feel like much was resolved, um, and in fact, there was one question that I had that was never answered, and it's killing me. Who invited these damn birds? They literally won't shut the fuck up. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to follow me on social media at BlondeHairBlackHeart. Give this podcast a big thumbs up or subscribe so you never miss an episode. And why not give me five stars while you're there? Honestly, when I get a bad review, I cry, and I'm an ugly crier. All right, guys, until next time, bye. Uh -huh.